Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me, as always, is my producer, Kevin Black. And with me this week, yeah, I know the, the, the string of massive guests had to come to an end at some point. However, I actually consider this person a massive guest, in my opinion. Um, Maxwell Bomboards has been doing incredible work over on his own Substack, he runs his own column. I believe Maxwell, you you pretty much run that column every Tuesday, correct? Yeah, yeah. So I started it off on a Tuesday and just out of habit every single week. Tuesday's the day, so that's when it goes up over there. I know it quite literally follows up my column, which I release every Monday. So I, I've been paying attention to Maxwell's work for a while, and he goes really in depth on a number of prospects similar to me each and every week. He has highlighted quite the number already. And similar to me, we, we're, we're looking at our own publications and we're not even finished with January yet. I know that I'm definitely at that 60 plus number in terms of prospects I've highlighted over on the Morning Dunk. So if you aren't subscribed to the Morning Dunk over on No Ceilings, please go do so, noceilings.substack.com. We are pumping out content each day. Monday through Friday. We're recording this on Tuesday, January 25th. Our friend Corey Tullibut had a banger column about uh, Jaden Hardy. He just got up up and close to see the G League Ignite team. I'm going to be seeing them this weekend, hopefully weather permitting. I mean, geez, they're talking about some crazy no research going to blow through my area. I, I drive a little Mazda 3, so I'm a little nervous about making a drive. We've got like 10 plus inches of snow on the ground, but hopefully... I'm able to get down to Delaware to see the G League night team. I've been really impressed with with some of those guys in particular lately, but he has a great piece that he just wrote, so definitely go check that out on the Substack. But without further ado, proper introduction for you, Maxwell. How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm I'm really excited to be here. I've been a fan of your podcast uh, almost since the beginning, and uh, the whole No Ceilings crew as a whole. Uh, Tyler Metcalf was like one of the first guys I got really into as far as uh, draft writers so it's really cool to see what you guys are doing and glad to be a part of draft deeper here tonight so what got you so fascinated with wanting to write about the nba draft and become a sicko as you friendly <laughs> du dub yourself because yeah. you, you you gotta be a sicko to want to do some of the work in, in this field, when you talk about covering as many prospects, especially like you and I do on a weekly basis, it, it, it's a lot, man. So what made you want to focus in on it? Yeah, so it's, it's always something I've loved. I've been a huge basketball fan my entire life. Um, my first like NBA draft related memory was actually uh, I was in third. It was the summer between like second and third grade, I want to say. And. Uh, I, one of my sisters was out of town, so I got to sleep. I got to use her bedroom that had a TV in it. And I watched like a preview show previewing the NBA draft. And ever since then, the draft has been like my thing in basketball that I've enjoyed the most. So, uh, it's always something I've paid a lot of attention to. Uh, there was a show war room hustle a few years ago. There was a podcast. Oh my God. Oh, Dude. not the war room hustle. It was uh, that that kind of got me deeper into it. And then, yeah, just started to uh, get closer and closer attention last year. I think I think COVID was really what got me into it just because there was nothing to do. There was no sports on TV. Uh, so it just became 
well, this draft is going to happen, so I'm going to learn as much as I can about these guys. And uh, ever since then, it's been just more and more something I've gotten into. Uh, hosted a pro wrestling podcast for a long time. Stepped away from that uh, when my wife and I were going to have our kid, and I wanted to have another creative outlet. And then this has taken on a life of its own, so I don't really have any more free time than I did before. But uh, it's given me something to do. But I've, I've just always loved the draft. I love trying to project it. I love being wrong and learning what I got wrong. Yes. Uh, and just seeing players develop. It's, it's rewarding and exciting. Well, now, now I know you're a draft sicko. Jesus, talk about the war room hustle. That's, uh, I, I gave that podcast a, a shout out on my last pod with Jonathan Wasserman. Wasserman used to hop off yeah. the old boss a lot of it occur all the time. And if, if you want granular talk about prospects there is no one better to go to than, than my old boss alon who who taught me everything he knew so shouts to him he's a legend in the space I, I i really enjoyed working for him back in the day i learned a lot and i always continue to learn by listening to that podcast so i'm glad that alon has fans all over the place and now that podcast has helped turn more people into sickos like him and i so i i, I love it so Without further ado, let's dive in because we are going to be sickos tonight. We're going to talk about guys who are not one through five on everybody's big boards. I've done a ton of top prospect discussion with a number of guests going back, not just with my last two podcasts with Sam Bassini and Jonathan Wasserman, but dating back, I mean, going back to, to Chad Ford in the middle of December, I've, I've been hammering some some awesome folks in the media industry about some of the top guys. So let's let's go back to the roots. Let's talk about guys that give Draft Deeper its name quite literally. Although I will say, Maxwell, the first guy we're going to talk about has been buzzing of late. He just hit a great game closing shot the other day for Marquette against Villanova. That would be Justin Lewis the Marquette forward, who I have not talked about yet on this podcast. He was one of the very first prospects that I wanted to highlight in the stock watch portion of the morning dunk way back my first column of the year. I wrote about him, and I haven't really touched on him since, mainly because I haven't gotten around to watching a lot of Marquette basketball, to be mm-hmm. perfectly honest with you. But you take a look at some of his recent splits, He's been putting up numbers. He's been hitting big shots. You look at his statistics overall, 15.8 points per game, 7.9 rebounds, 43% from the field, 32% from three, 77 from the free throw line, 62nd percentile in terms of total offense, 38th percentile in terms of total defense. I could run through a number of percentiles in terms of where he ranks. I don't think the numbers – do him justice, Maxwell. And he, he is a young prospect. He's only 19. But when you actually flip on the film and you watch him, he, to me, strikes me as one of the most intriguing forward prospects that we may have in this entire draft class, really because of his frame. He's 6'7". Two, I believe he's listed at about 237 pounds. He looks like he's 240 pounds. He's not, he's not overly thick in terms of like bulky when he's moving around on the court, but he's definitely built really well. He's strong. The way Marquette uses him on the court, they love to put him as a roller in pick and roll actions. They love to have him pop out on the perimeter. He uses threat from three-point range. He does have a good clean shot off the catch. Some people have a few questions about his mechanics. I guess we'll talk about those 
a little later on. I'm not overly concerned about them, but as a pick and roll threat, as a pick and pop threat, he's one of those guys who has these long strides and 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 really good footwork when he's going to the basket. He can finish inside. He's not too much of a creator for other people. Matter of fact, his passing is probably, in my opinion, his poorest trait offensively, other than just being this guy who can maybe knock down a, a tough jumper off the bounce if he's not set properly. But you look at some of the other things he can do, though, especially defensively where he's very versatile. He can he can be a guy who definitely guards three and four, could possibly even guard NBA fives in time, depending on the kind of small ball lineups that he's involved in. I know this is a guy who Chuck from Chucking Darts has talked about multiple times. I know that he's been on the bandwagon for quite a while now. And it, it, Lewis is one of these guys, he's, he's really young in the game. He didn't get a lot of opportunities last year to prove himself in a COVID-riddled season, but now he's really jumped out full force. He's he, he's really popping up on a lot of radars, and I'm curious, Maxwell, to get some of your thoughts about him because out of all these guys we can talk about today as quote-unquote sleepers, Lewis is quickly emerging as one who he might not even be a sleeper anymore in another week or two's time. He, he might be firmly in first-round discussions for a lot of people. Yeah, a lot of that's going to depend on kind of where his production level's off. Um, because if he just continues to play how he's been playing, I don't think there's a way he goes past the first round. Um, I, I thought last season he came across as just a very raw player. Yep. Um, and, and part of it, too, was I think he had some injury issues, if I'm remembering. Like, I feel like I remember seeing a lot of Marquette games where it's like, oh, I'm going to check out Justin Lewis, and he wouldn't play. Um, they also were kind of playing bigger last year with Theo John and Dawson Garcia. So he was forced into the three spot a lot. Yeah, he um, was, he was in and out of the lineup. They had a little bit of a weird team. You mentioned Dawson Garcia that have transferred to North Carolina. He only started one game last year, so he really was in and out of the lineup. Yeah. And, and I think he's been a little bit up and down in terms of his outside shot. Like if you just look at his three points, uh, shooting splits throughout this season, left runs where he's hitting them. And then, like, he'll have a stretch where he just goes one for five a bunch of games in a row or has, you know, a couple just real bad games as an outside shooter. I, I agree with you 100% that the numbers don't do him justice. And I think a lot of that is just his physical tools, and there's not really a way to put that into a box score. Uh, but you mentioned him guarding smaller fives. In that Villanova game, Eric Dixon's, like, 260. Mm-hmm. And Lewis was kind of bossing him around at times um he is really powerful and you know it shows up in his rebounding numbers uh but i I love his defensive potential um i I just i think he's really solid now and if the outside shot is even okay it's so much better than it was last season where he was like 22 percent from three that it's going to talk themselves into that improvement now this year he's at 32 so big jump in in that free throw percentage up 20% also there's there's reason to buy in that he's going to be okay as a jump shooter eventually I mean he's he's really taken another step within the offense overall he's almost doubled his total uh, field goal attempts per game he's certainly three times as many three-point attempts per game he's not getting to the line too much more you we talk about his physicality he's not a guy who's necessarily always looking to draw fouls or create contact around the basket he's he's a guy he has those long strides and he's actually 
I think, a little underrated in terms of evading the defender. He's able to step around guys and get around them, and then he's able to finish with his length. So he's he's pretty intriguing when he does get a step on somebody inside the arc. He's not he's not explosive. He's not the quickest player on the court, but that was a good word that you used. He's powerful, um, it, just deceptively so. Like you you look at him, you don't you don't initially think that he's going to be as strong as he is, but then the camera zooms in on what his frame actually looks like, and you realize he, he he's a lot bigger than he might look when the camera is zoomed out. I'm assuming that I would I would get an even better read on him if I saw him in person. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get to do that this season, but these pick and pop kind of forwards who can hold their own defensively in multiple different situations. Um, I, I don't need these guys to be like 40% three point shooters. Like I know shot quality commented on one of my tweets the other night and he asked me, what, what do I think he ultimately ends up as, as a three point shooter in the league? And I would say if he can, if he can end up around that like 36, 37% mark, on the same kind of volume that he is right now, like taking almost five threes per game, I would be really happy with that because the the type of threat he would pose to a defense in those pick and pop situations, depending on the point guard that he's paired up with. I mean, you're really putting the defense in, in quite the conundrum, just given the high level of point guard play that's required nowadays in the NBA. What, what, what would you say, what would you say you think is three point percentage is going to be at or, or top top out at not necessarily once yeah. he gets into the league, but like two three years down the road, where do you think he's going to be at, and what are, what are your concerns with the jumper overall? Um, so yeah, I, I might be a little more bullish on him because I think even if the jump, I, I feel like even if it's at like 35, 34, he's still like definitely an NBA player at that point, just based on the other stuff he does on the floor. Um, and I, I I'm kind of buying more into uh like you mentioned his passing earlier is something that's not great i think it's still so much better than it was that i'm talking myself into that being there eventually do you think uh, that's just from him being that raw because like yeah, naturally I really i think he was raw and i also just think that oh like because he was in and out of the lineup so much i think role has a lot to do with it um i, I think just having consistent playing time and a defined role is a big part of it. I think he's just more comfortable on the court, period. Yeah, because I mean, I, I, I would think that playmaking is, is something that he's probably going to work on, especially after this year. Like, if he is going to be a big who's used almost exclusively in role-type situations, playmaking out of the short role has become so valuable in today's mm -hmm. NBA with how much space you can find yourself around that nail area. That is something that he really needs to take advantage of more often. I... I don't think he's bad at making the read. I just don't like his touch. I don't. I don't. I don't like when when he actually makes the passes. You see a number of them kind of errant or, or off the mark. I don't think it's that he doesn't recognize what's going on. I just don't like his his passing touch overall. Is that something that can improve in time? Absolutely, especially when you consider. I don't think he has bad hands. I don't think he has mm -hmm. hard hands. Like if he did, he wouldn't be as good of a rebounder as he is like per yeah. 40 minutes, he's grabbing 10 boards per game. So it, it, it's, it, I, I think he does have nice soft hands, but yeah, he, he's definitely has to get better as a passer to take advantage, take better advantage of more of those situations. The defenses are going to really figure out to, to stay home on him 
especially when mm-hmm. he tries to get more in more of those pick and pop situations. They're going to stay home on him. They're going to contest. They're going to bother that shot. And he seems to be a guy who's much better at hitting open jumpers than necessarily when the defense is closing out on him, unless you might feel differently. No, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And I think a lot of it too is, um, like you mentioned, the synergy numbers not looking great. Spacing isn't awesome on this team. And like it's we're not. talking about, and we're talking a lot about like point guard play too. I love Tyler Kolick. If I could give shooting ability to any player in college basketball, it would be Tyler Kolick. That man is like a wizard with the ball, but he just can't throw a grape into the ocean this year. Uh, I, I think that like, yeah, that to me is why the shot needs to be there. Cause he needs to get that respect. Um, I, I, yeah, the passing touch thing. I, I understand. I also don't love his handle. Um, I just, I don't love him off the bounce at this point. And when he's able to take long strides to get where he wants, that's when he looks great. Uh, but if he were to be in a situation where, let's say, they're running a pick and pop, he gets the ball, the defender sort of stays home on it, and he has to, you know, he doesn't have an immediate pass and he's going to try and put it on the floor. I don't feel great about that at the NBA level. If someone's coming in hot to close out on him, I'm, I'm okay. He can make that stride around him and get to the rim yep but i i don't feel great about it either and i think that's really where a lot of the appeal would come from if you're banking on him being young and having all this potential you would figure that that's one thing that he's definitely going to develop along with some of the playmaking ability is to just be more of a live dribble threat with the ball in his hands and i i agree with you i'm not in love with the handle either i don't know if i'm buying any sort of top tier shot creation from him at any point i just think he's a guy who can hit open catch and shoot jumpers he can stretch the floor because of his size his length his bulk he's able to play up in position and he's able to be that floor spacing four or five for an nba team i think that's where his appeal lies and don't get me wrong that's still a really valuable player in today's nba but i think when when you start to hear some of these whispers that like is is he a guy who's coming like for, for to be ranked within the top 25. Like, I, I think if you're going to start talking about him being like a potential top 20, top 25 selection and not, and outside of like the early second round, I think you're trying to buy into him developing more as a shot creator, as not a facilitator, but a guy who can be much more aware and, and ultimately better at making that live dribble pass. So I, I, I'm kind of sensing some, some hesitation from you as well, Maxwell, that you're not fully buying into that either. Yeah. And, and I've, I've kind of moved him around a lot. Like I, I'm not super married to my board really at any point. Like I don't think anybody's prior married to, to May, but I, I know, I know yeah, I'm not, but he's a guy that I've moved around a lot just because like on a game by game basis, some days it'll really feel like he can be a nice cog in the offense and keep it moving. But it's, it's just one of those guys. And Tari Eason is similar in a way where like, he is playing a very high usage role right now that I just don't think he's going to have to in the NBA. And you have to kind of glean from these little, like very specific instances, what will and won't work for him. And with a guy like Tari Eason, I just feel better about decision-making the dribbling and things like that. And I'm not even crazy about Tari in those instances. To me, like that's where like you look at Justin Lewis compared to that. And it's like, all right, well, Tari Eason and how much lower do you put a player that is behind in those aspects? So where where Justin Lewis has a much cleaner shot, in my opinion, off the catch. Oh, Tari yeah, is yeah. 
Tari's technically the better free throw shooter. And Tari also is one of those guys who can make those live dribble passes. And he can make some of those more next level reads that that second read after the first one, he can make that. And he can make that slick dime, that cutting big man, that that roller next to him. Um, he can make some of those passes that you see on film and you're like, Oh shit, where did that come from? I don't see Justin ever necessarily getting to that point. I don't think he's as smart of a player as Tari is. And I think that's, I'm glad you brought that name up because that's, that's a decent comparison. I think for where if you're buying in on Justin Lewis, you think that he might be on that same level of like a Tari Eason where I have Tari Eason within my top 20 and I think he's he's going to stay there for the rest of the year. I'm not ready to get there on somebody like Justin Lewis, although I do acknowledge that if some more things hit for him, he may in theory have higher upside because I think he could fill a cleaner need for an NBA team than Tari Eason, who is a guy who teams kind of bring in to, to wreak havoc and chaos on the defensive end, but he's not always a sure thing offensively because of his play style. I haven't fully bought in on his interior finishing ability, although I don't think that's necessarily a strength of Justin Lewis either in, in certain situations. But I, I want to buy in more on Justin. I'm just I'm not quite there yet, but he is somebody who you have to highlight at this point because he is taking and making big shots for a Marquette team that they're, they're, they're not a basketball team. They're not a bad basketball team. They're not a great basketball team, but they're not a bad team. Um, and you do have to highlight some of these players, especially these young guys who they are putting up numbers and they're looking good in certain situations doing it. When you fill the type of, the type of archetype, the type of role that Justin Lewis does, he, he, he fits, fills a valuable mold for an NBA yeah. team. We'll just put it that way. So I, I, I think we, we can leave, Justin there. So if you if you did have to rank him today though, Maxwell, where is he currently falling on your board? Like that early second round range, I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say I'd say early to early to mid second round. The other thing with him too is like really banking on the defense with a guy like that just because of those physical tools. But in the UCLA game, Jaime Hakas just killed him with counter moves. Mm-hmm. That's something that he's really struggled with. So he needs to get more kind of patient on that side of the ball too. So I I'm a little as far as buying into him as like a ready-made NBA defender. I don't think he's going to embarrass himself on defense if you made him play in a game tomorrow, but I don't think he's like future all defense either. I agree. He's still, he's still raw in some respects on, on both ends of the floor and a team is still going to have to be patient um, developing him, which is why it'll be really interesting to see if a team does reach for him, maybe in, in like that late first round range. Cause a good team just wants to grab him, put him in their development system versus a team that can swing back around and get a player like him with his upside in the early second round. Maybe instead of giving a team, a, a worse team, two of those guys, maybe you see one of those playoff caliber teams snake him in the back end of the first round. We'll have to see where he ultimately goes. And I mean, he does technically have to declare, right? He, he's a sophomore. He just have to declare for the draft. So we'll see if he puts his name in. But right now, things are looking really good on that front. A lot of positive buzz around his name. I'm curious to see what happens with his stock moving forward. But let's talk about a guard who, Maxwell, this guy has become one of my favorite prospects in the entire draft. Alondez Williams, he is playing his ass off for Wake Forest. He plays so hard. He's competitive. He's tough as nails. 
He's averaging 20 points per game, 6.8 rebounds, 5.1 assists, 54.5% from the field, 33.7% from three-point range, almost 73% from the line. He's averaging a steal per game, a 27.8 PER. You can point to some of the shooting inconsistencies from the perimeter, but he still has a 61.9 true shooting percentage. So that's telling me when he gets that ball like 12 feet and in, Generally, it's going in for him. He's a really good finisher around the basket. Some of the synergy numbers would also bear that out. He's in the 87th percentile finishing around the basket, 85th percentile in terms of total offense, 63rd percentile in terms of total defense. So a guard with his size, with his length, his ability to make something happen on or off the ball, I think the jump shot's gotten better as the year has gone along. I think he's definitely more confident um, off the catch. He's been more confident hitting open spot-up shots. He can definitely create for himself in isolation. He's been a much better player this year, scoring and passing out of pick and roll. He's not lighting up the world. He's not in like the 90th percentile in either one of those two categories where we're talking about scoring or assisting out of pick and rolls, but he's still in that 59th, 60th percentile, which is still really good for a prospect. Um, he's in the 72nd percentile in isolation scoring as well as isolations, including passes. The bottom line when I read off a lot of these statistics, Maxwell, is he can do a lot of different things on the court, and he comes with experience. He's not a freshman. He's not a sophomore. Um, he's an older player. Do people like to take older players with, like, top 25, top 30 picks all the time unless they're truly, truly, truly spectacular? No, but in my opinion – I can just see him translating so well to the NBA game, especially when you factor in how he likes to get out in the break, score, and handle the ball in the open court. He can just make so many different things happen. He's a tough-as-nose defender. He will likely be able to guard ones and twos. I won't say he's going to be any leader like a lockdown defender at the guard spot by any means, but he's definitely going to give some of the other ones and twos in the NBA some problems. I really like everything that he brings to the table. You watch some. You watch somebody like Io DeSumo, for example, for the Chicago Bulls, who obviously has more upside, in my opinion, than Alondas would, because he's really transformed himself as a pull-up jump shooter. But you watch a guard like him come into the NBA. He wasn't as valued as some of the other guards in last year's draft. But if you come in, you let him be himself. You don't put too much on his plate. You let him come off the bench, or you let him start next to one or two other guys who can create for themselves as well as for other people. And you just, you you let Alondez be Alondez, similar to how the Bulls are letting Io be Io. And I could see some really explosive results for a good team. I think he's being undervalued at this point in this class, although you do, you, as you mentioned before, you're starting to, to hear some other people talk about him a little bit. But where are you at on Alondez, Maxwell? What, what do you see from him? Where do you like him in the draft? So right now I'm, I'm in sort of that same range. I have him kind of early second. So mm -hmm. now um, it's, it's funny you mentioned Iowa. I'm in Illinois. So I'm, you know, about an hour outside of Chicago. So seen a lot of Iowa the last couple of years. Um, to your point about Iowa as a pull-up shooter, definitely. But I think something that makes Alanda so special and something that I'm very excited about for him at the NBA level is if you look at the synergy numbers in the half court, 42.6% of his shots come around the basket. Yep. That man gets to the rim with ease. Yep. And I think when he's playing on a more spaced out, bigger court in the NBA, uh, that's going to be there for him. And I also think something that 
again, we, we bring up IO that Alondis is going to have going for him. I think a lot of people early in like just early projections of rookies and young players coming to the NBA. Something a lot of people fail to look at is who's going to win the trust of a coaching staff. And I think a player like Alonis will, because he's going to play so hard. He's going to get in. He's going to mix it up. He's going to get rebounds. He's going to make the right passes. He'll keep the ball moving. Um, and the mock draft that Stephen Gillespie and I did the other day, I, I took him for the Boston Celtics. Like to me, that's a great fit for him. Oh. You have other, you know, high level initiators, but here's a guy who every once in a while he can get to the rim. You can run a little ISO for him. You can run some interesting pick and roll stuff. It's just another playmaker on the court you can trust and is going to give you energy. Uh, so I, I'm really into him. Uh, I, the way I do my notes for players, I kind of build on it throughout the season. It's just become more and more glowing as every week goes on with him. Uh, obviously, the outside shot, you know, it's it's a little bit concerning, but I think it's good enough. And if he can get into the paint, I, I think he can survive, even if it's not above average. And, and that's the thing, is that he just has to be enough of a threat in catch-and-shoot situations to the point where he gets that defender to close out on him. They have to respect the shot. And he's going to get around that defender more often than not if they come to close out on him. And exactly, once you get him moving towards the basket, it's like all hell breaks loose because he makes some really exciting one-handed live dribble passes. He literally just whips that ball to the corner or he throws some flashy bounce pass inside. Like he is a master of flair once he gets moving to the basket. You mentioned his finishing ability when he gets there. He is a strong physical guard. At 6'5", he doesn't back down from a challenge. He has good touch around the basket. And yeah, I, I think his jump shooting will be more predicated on him being able to knock down those one-two dribble pull-ups once he is able to get inside the arc. Maybe he's not quite able to get to the basket, but he can hit some of those one-two dribble pull-ups. And then if he's enough of a threat off the catch to be able to open up the rest of that game for him, yeah, I think he can be a really, really dangerous offensive player in the league. That that Boston fit, that would be awesome because that still gives Boston more size on the perimeter. You're talking about if they would keep Marcus Smart, you would have Alondez, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. That's so much versatility, so much size, uh, plus positional size. Um, that that would be a truly fantastic fit. Has he been? Has he definitely been one of the more exciting players? in this class for you? Cause he has for me, he makes sure. my jaw drop every time I flip him on. Yeah. And, and him and Jake LaRavia too, it's like a kind of a match made in heaven as far as just having this <laughs> bursty guard and a nice, you know, floor spacing forward with good size. So I, I've really enjoyed Wake Forest a lot more than I ever anticipated coming into this season. I didn't think they'd be appointment viewing, but we are. Um, you mentioned his live dribble passing. And I think something else that I really love about him in terms of NBA translation how quick he gets his passes to where they need yep. to be. Because uh, it's it's one thing to see it. It's another thing to be able to do it with one hand. But just the fact that it's a lightning quick delivery, I really like too. He's not going to give defenses time to recover. Um, and yeah, I, I think in terms of just athleticism too, he's there. He's a good athlete. He has an NBA-ready body. Um, and his, just like his handle and his footwork are good enough too that I think even even though it's going to be a little bit tougher for him to get where he wants in the NBA, he has real craft. Yep. It's, it's not just, oh, I can can catch and go really well. 
or I can beat you in a straight line. There's there's real skill to his game. And people want to talk about as a negative. Um, he he's had some games, particularly that that middle stretch where Wake Forest played Syracuse, Duke, and Virginia, where he was piling up turnovers, and he definitely had. Um, negative sometimes two to one turnover to assist ratio in some of those games. But Alondez won't have nearly as much responsibility offensively in the NBA than he did in those games. Like teams like Syracuse, Duke, and Virginia are loaded with, in Syracuse and Virginia's case, they're two really well-connected zone defense teams. And then in the case of Duke, when they are running a much more man-focused defensive scheme, they still have bodies on that team like that. In that situation, you're talking about him going up one-on-one against guys like Trevor Keels, Wendell Moore, A.J. Griffin. Like the, Those are really tough defensive assignments or defensive teams to go up against. And when you have so much responsibility, when you're one of two guys on the court who can consistently make something happen, you mentioned Jake, um, defenses can key in on you much more differently than it will be in the NBA when defenses have to pay attention in a lot of different respects to almost everybody on the court. Maybe in some situations you're in like a four on five, but you're not, you're, you don't, you never feel like you're, you're overwhelmed and you're in like a two on five situation. Like, like Alondez was going up against some of those teams. So I think the turnovers will be something that that works themselves out as well. He averages 3.3 per game. He's not quite at a two-to-one assist to turnover ratio, but just the responsibility that he has, sometimes the spacing that is ultimately not working with. I think once he gets in an NBA court that you mentioned that, Maxwell, that is spaced much more to his benefit. Um, and and it, it, he has guys next to him who can do a little bit more off the bounce, can also create. I think we're really going to see another evolution to Alondez's game, and that's why – I have him in that same early second range right now, but I've been really toying with putting him amongst the top 30 guys the next time I do my board because I think I really think he has starter upside. If he's playing on the right team next to the right players, I think he could thrive as a starter. I don't know if he's if his ceiling is only capped at being like one of the first guards off the bench, somebody maybe he's like the seventh to ninth man in your rotation. I think he actually has a ceiling that's higher than that. What do you think about his upside? I I think it's definitely possible. I think a little bit of it is still going to depend on fit just because Yep. it's really hard for me to imagine him as like a real plus shooter at the guard spot. So he'll probably need a good amount of spacing and, and shooting around him. Uh, to hit that. I do think it's possible though. And I think a lot of times we underestimate role and fit. I mean, you mentioned the Duke game. He kind of had to force it. He had to. And, and as it went on too, like I put in my notes that I love how he didn't quit against Duke. He was, he was forced at times, but that was the only way Wake was going to hang in that game was him trying to make things happen. So I think there's a world where he hits as a starter uh i defensively he's kind of sneaky like he'll he'll block some shots now and then again we're going back to iota soon again is another guy that once his role is lessened on the offensive end and he doesn't have exactly. to be responsible for so much i think the defense is going to look even better so i do see i do see starter upside i think he's more likely in that kind of seven and nine rotation spot like you mentioned yeah the longer the season goes on i kind of see that first round argument just because have a hard time imagining him failing just based on how how consistently he puts pressure on the rim 
how good he is around the basket. He's 62.7% on twos. Yeah, and I mean, he so in, in that Duke game, you talked about it. He was he was 11 for 21 from the field overall, but he was 10 for 17 on two-point attempts. He only took four threes, and really, th- there are some games. He's usually hovering around that like three to four three-point attempts mark. The majority of his damage that he does is because he gets to the basket, he hits on his pull-up jumpers inside the arc, and he hits on his free throws. Um, in, in some of these games where he does have these upper tier scoring numbers. I mean, he was, I believe he only got to the line three times against Duke, but in some of these other games where he's put up numbers, I mean, against VMI, he was 12 for 13 from the free throw line against Oregon state, a game where he had 20 an efficient 24 points. He was nine for 14 from the free throw line. So I think just him continuing to be aggressive, not always settling for the pull-up jumper, trying to get to the basket in the right situation and be better at drawing contact and get to the free throw line where I think he can be better than about 73%. That's another way for him to build out his offensive game and continue adding to his points per game averages. But yeah, fit definitely plays a part to it. But I mean, you you mentioned in, in, in a mock draft, you took him to Boston. Like if you put him in the starting lineup next to Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, two guys similar to Io being in a lineup um, with, with Zach Levine on one side of him. Like that, that's the type of creation where if he has that next to him, that takes so much pressure off of him to be the only guy handling all the creation on offense. So that really would free up his game. So I agree in the right context, if he has the right personnel around him, I think he can be a starter at worst. I do think he's a long-term seventh through ninth man or, or maybe even a sixth man on, on, on a good to great team. And that to me is a valuable commodity to have. If you know that's what that player is going to be, that can absolutely justify taking him at the end of the first round, especially with this class, like 25 to 60. I'm sure you would agree is just so much uncertainty right now. We, we, we don't even have a good idea at this point yet in the year of who we think is actually going to be available in the back end of that first round. So Having that type of information and that type of valuation with Alondez, I think gives him a really good shot to go at the back end of the first round. So let's move to a guy who I've seen up close and personal, plays close to home to me, Jordan Hall, St. Joe's, 15.1 points per game, 6.7 rebounds, 6.6 assists, only shooting 39% from the field about 36% from three-point range and close to 74% from the free throw line. He only rates out in the 35th percentile in terms of total offense, but you you break down the synergy numbers in terms of shot making in the half court, and he rates out pretty well in a number of areas, 83rd percentile in isolation, 72nd percentile on spot-ups, 88th percentile in terms of isolations, including passes, 61st percentile in terms of pick and rolls, including passes, 58th percentile on jumpers, 82nd percentile finishing around the basket, 62nd percentile on catch-and-shoot jumpers in the half court, and 61st percentile all jump shots off the dribble. That is a pretty good shot profile from my estimation, one that speaks to more offensive upside than just those raw percentages do. And like I said, I've seen Jordan up close and personal I think that he's going to be much better in the NBA when he has better talent around him. If you look at that St. Joe's team, first of all, 
if you're really spending time watching St. Joe's on a Saturday afternoon when you can be watching <laughs> a team from the ACC or the Big 12, God bless you. You are a sicko, just like mm-hmm. us, because it's Jordan Hall and it's Taylor Funk, and that's about it. Like some of the things that Jordan Hall has to do to create offense for his teammates are ridiculous. Like when he gets in a pick and roll situation and they double him out of the screen and he has to hit some weird pass at some ridiculously contorted angle to get it above both defenders and to the roll man who's slipping to the basket for the easy score. Like just some of the passes he hits at some of these angles are absolutely ridiculous He always keeps his head up. He knows what's going on in the court at all times. And I think the jump shot improvement is probably the biggest selling point for him right now to potentially be somebody who goes um, in in that late first round range. You see some of the step back threes. He's really added to his game of step back jumpers in in, in general, whether it's inside or outside the arc. So that shot making has been really encouraging this year. But his life is just so much tougher playing at St. Joe's. And I think that definitely has to be taken into account just when you look at some of the raw percentages. But when you factor in where he rates out in a lot of those um, shot-making percentiles in the half court, like an outlined, you start to look at his case. I, I think he becomes a lot more impressive than when you're just looking at some of those raw numbers. So what do you think about Jordan Hall, Maxwell? Why is he somebody who has been on your radar this year? Where, where do you have him right now in your rankings? So I uh, – I'm – you know, from the Chicago area, but I've probably watched a lot more 76ers and Bulls uh, since the process started. I was a big Allen Iverson guy as a kid. Um, I think the Atlanta Hawks Sixers series just scarred me. It's <laughs> made me value dribble pass shoot wings more than like anything else. And that's what Jordan Hall is. Uh, you mentioned this, the St. Joe's. I, so I want on my lunch break today. This is true sicko behavior. Oh my God. I watched St. Joe's versus George Washington. Jesus. A game in which uh, St. Joe's was assessed a technical because their shot clock did not work before the game. Uh, so quite, quite the game. Uh, there's so many scoring opportunities he just doesn't get where he'll be wide open and a team that won't see him or things like that. So beyond just the amount of attention that he has to deal with on a game by game basis, uh, sort of lack of open shots that he gets and things like that playing as well. Uh, another big reason I'm into him, I mentioned like the dribble pass shoot element. You talked about his passing. His passing is really great. It's point guard level and he's six, six. Um, he has to play point guard for that team, essentially, which is crazy because he would not be doing that for an NBA team, but he literally has to bring the ball up the floor every single possession. No, and, and like when there are games where he gets to sort of slide into like a lower usage role, he looks comfortable doing it. Like I, yep. he's good with the ball, but I don't think he needs it. He does not. I think he also has done a wonderful job of just improving upon critiques that were made of him prior to the season which is something i'm a big sucker for so um on synergy if you look at his numbers at the rim so like around the basket this year he's 64.7 percent last year he was 46.2 percent um spacing isn't good but i think a lot of it was he was really put off by physicality there would be times in games last year where it just seemed like he would either shy away from competing for a rebound or he would contort his body way too much to avoid getting bumped around the rim. 
where a lot of that has just been cleaned up and is out of his game. He's he's so much more comfortable dealing with the physical side of basketball at this point, uh, and it's really paid dividends for him. If you look at his shooting percentages, you know maybe it doesn't see you know forty two point seven percent for two. It doesn't look great. He's still not getting to the rim as much as you would like, uh, but when he's there, he's doing so much better. Um, I I, I just I like guys that get better where they need to, and I think he's more attentive on defense as a whole too so much of of his problems are just situational and i think if you put him in a good environment and he doesn't have to do as much everything's going to look a lot better and he's really intelligent he's vocal he's a leader i know one of the things i was i was talking about last night i commented on um one of jam hines tweets uh, another fellow uh ev hooper slash bba hooper mm-hmm. um he was talking about how he loved seeing Jordan Hall be able to walk over to his teammates and have a conversation with them. And that was something I really took away from seeing him in person as well. He's always calling things out. If somebody makes a mistake, he, he is not shy to walk over to them and try to explain to them what happened. But they, they respond to him, though. That's the thing is mm-hmm. that they actually view him as a leader on the court. They embrace how vocal he is, how much of a quarterback he is at times on both ends of the floor for that team and they respect him. And I think there's something to be said for that because Jordan Hall is not somebody who's looked at as like a top five, top 10 pick in the draft, right? Like I, I think if he goes late first round, that's probably like best case scenario for him. So it's not that he's this overwhelming talent on the court to the point where, you know, the, the this lead by example is like exponentially more than what it's been for him on the court, but he is a really good player. And he's somebody who is is seeing every single play on the court two to three steps ahead. He's essentially like another coach on the court for his teammates. And when this team wins games, it's generally because of what he's ultimately seeing and able to handle on the court. So in terms of leadership, I love everything that he brings to the table. I had him on my podcast last year. He was a great guy to talk to, smart guy, funny guy. I think that stuff matters when I'm doing an evaluation like this. He's just the type of player I would want to have in my locker room. Is he a high usage guy on offense? Probably not. But at the same time, you mentioned dribble pass and shoot wings. I also like wings who just give a shit and know what they're doing on the court. And and Jordan Hall, that's definitely something that he brings to the table as well. One thing I'll note, the game I saw him this year live was against Temple and I think that was a really a, a sneaky good evaluation for him because Temple might not be the most competitive team in the country in terms of wins and losses, but roster composition, they have, they're a very young team. They're an energetic team. They have a lot of guys in that like six, five to six, seven range size wise mm-hmm. on their team. They threw a bunch of different looks at him. And every time they threw something different at him, he figured out how to deal with it. He figured out how to make the right pass out of pick and roll. He figured out how to counter with a dribble move or two, where to go with the ball, what type of jump shot that he needed to hit on that particular possession. He just, he knew how to dissect and figure out each matchup they threw at him. They literally threw the whole kitchen sink at him. And I think that's something that's very valuable to have off of an NBA bench. You need guys who can just figure things out on the court, especially when we're talking about, you know, second units and coaches are generally a little more eager to try different things 
with a second unit. They can get a, a little more creative at times, depending on the personnel they have. Maybe they're bringing in uh, a second unit that's a lot more defensive focus. Just maybe, maybe they aren't a lot of awesome shot makers, but they're focused on just stop the bleeding, contain it, and make sure we get, once we get our starters back out on the court and we mix in more of our starters, that's what we'll get going on offense. But just stop the other team from scoring. Don't let a lead get bigger or keep a lead. And they'll try different things. They'll experiment more. And Jordan Hall is one of those guys who can not only figure it out for himself, but who can also figure it out for some of the other players who aren't quite as talented on the court as well. So like having him come off the bench with second units and be that sort of quarterback, I think that would be really valuable for an NBA team. And as you mentioned, Maxwell, his ability to mix and match with other starters, with other starting caliber players, play a little more off the ball, I think he would be relieved to be able to step into yep. a role like that in the NBA. And I think he can absolutely play off of other people. So he's just one of those really malleable forwards. Another guy who has gained buzz in, in draft circles because of how he can mesh with different types of players. Certainly. And and something you mentioned too is sort of using guys off the second unit to create mismatches and, and tinker around with different lineups. I think the Richmond game was a game where you really started to see that could work for Jordan Hall. Richmond has a lot of smaller guards and they tried to put them on him. I think knowing the previous scouting report on Jordan Hall being a guy that doesn't like physicality, he used that to sort of back him down, have everybody else space out the court, you know, keep an eye out for cutters, open shooters as the help comes over and things like that. He, he knows how to leverage a mismatch. And that's just such a nice basic skill to have um, when you have that sort of dribbling ability and that passing ability at that size. Um, I just, yeah, I think it's all there for him. And, you know, you're talking second units too, or makes you think of a guy like Delano Banton, who yep. also was on just a poor college team. And a lot of the same stuff as Jordan Hall, probably not as good of a shooter, but bigger than Jordan Hall. And, you know, look how, how things have worked out for him in Toronto. If, if he's in a good situation with a creative coach, I think that he can really be off to the races. And his jump shooting as well, whether it's on the ball or off the ball, it is improved, but it just, he has a pretty looking jump shot, man. Like mm -hmm. I, I, I love watching him shoot jumpers. I think that over time, as he gets more repetition, as he gets more comfortable shooting the ball in different situations, I think he's only going to continue to get better as a shooter. And if he gets to a point where he becomes like a 37, 38% three point shooter combined with everything else that he brings to the table, you can start to talk yourself into maybe he can be a starter one, one day in the NBA. I think the defense would still have to come around a little more than it has in college, but at least offensively, if you're taking somebody like Jordan Hall in the early second round, you can start talking yourself into him being a starter for you potentially down the road in the right situation with some of the right development. So I, I love trying to take some of those value type picks in the early second round I, I really I want to rank him in my top 30 so bad. I, I, I haven't gotten there yet, but he's he is so close. Like I think my last top 30 I came out with my my big board 2.0. He was that guy that literally just missed the cut. Um, he's somebody who's had my eyes since last year. I really value his talent and I'll be really curious to see ultimately where he falls in the draft. But he's he's definitely playing. He plays a position, he plays an archetype, plays a role that NBA teams are valuing more and more and more nowadays. 
as you kind of said. And then kudos to you for bringing up that Hawks 76ers series. I am a Sixers fan. So, yes, I'm still scarred by that series, definitely. So. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and I, I yeah, and I've got him in a similar spot right now too. I I have him at thirty two right now. Um, so yeah, he's just right in that same sort of range for me. Orlando Robinson, the Fresno State big man, Ma- Maxwell. I wrote about him this week in my column, and I had some positive words to say about him. It's not like I necessarily have negative words to say about him. I just haven't fully figured him out as a player yet. And I wanted to make sure that I flagged him in my column as somebody to start to take notice to. And I was hoping maybe my column would generate a little more conversational buzz around him, mm-hmm. a little more than, than what I've seen already and get some opinions out of people to really start to piece together what kind of player he is. Cause I can't fully figure him out. He's in the 90th percentile yeah. in terms of total offense. He's a near 20 points per game score for Fresno state He's almost exclusively like this this post-up type big who looks to face you up. He loves going to that fadeaway type jump shot. When he does step in, he can he can hit a hook shot over either shoulder. He is a little ambidextrous finishing around the basket. He's actually, by the numbers, he's in the 87th percentile finishing around the basket, which is good. I mean, he's seven feet, but he also loves to operate in that like 10 to 15 foot area on the court. Um he finishes really well in transition. He's good off putbacks. He's in the 92nd percentile when you factor in isolations, including passes. So he, he's not inept to finding the right man when he has to either. He likes to share the ball. But he's only in the 30th percentile in terms of spot-up shooting. He's at the 30, 35.2% mark shooting from the three-point line in general, 79%. From the free throw line. I guess my question for you, Maxwell, is we're kind of painting him as this stretch big. Mm-hmm. And again, we're talking about somebody probably that in the second round of a lot of people's boards, probably in like that 45 to 60 range. So it's not like we're trying to have figure out and we have these massive questions about like this guy who we're trying to peg as like a top 20 type player. But he still perplexed me in that we want to project him as this stretch big. Is he actually a stretch big in your opinion? Where are you kind of at on somebody like Orlando Robinson? So I think he is slash will be. I don't okay. know that I, yeah, I, I think the tools are there. When, when Just in general, when you look at what percentage big men shoot from three around his age, it's usually not this good. Yep. Um, generally, they, they take a little longer to come along. And also, most guys that are stretch bigs don't have his sort of athleticism and handle and polish and face-up game. Uh, before the season, I wrote that if you if you look at Orlando Robinson and you squint really hard, and I'm talking really <laughs> hard, like you can kind of see Carl Anthony Towns a little bit. Um, obviously, not in the same stratosphere. That's sort of the idea. Is he? He can do a lot off the dribble from the perimeter as a big man. He can drive. He's one of the better big man passers in this draft. Um, I probably have guys like Trevion Williams ahead of him. Jalen Williams from Arkansas, if you're if you're into him as a prospect, is probably just better for just talking in terms of passing. Um, but just in terms of an overall face-up game, I don't think anybody is a big, other than maybe Chet, 
like, but nobody in, outside of the first round has that kind of a game. It's a bit. It, it, is, is he is he just like a more creative Channing Fry off the dribble? Like, is that kind of like what kind of like that? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Like, if Channing Fry could could drive and was like willing to do more on the block and around the basket. Um, my concern with him is sort of the inverse of Jordan Hall, though. Like you mentioned, his spot up numbers. Don't really know what his game looks like without the ball because <laughs> he has it all like he has it a lot and he had it a lot last year, too. Um, I don't think I saw any of his freshman games, but yeah, so he, he's got to get better off the catch um, because that's going to be more likely what his NBA role is going to be. Yeah, he's he's this he's like I said, he's this very post-up oriented big where he likes to face up give give somebody that jab step maybe fade away out of the post on a jump shot but like teams aren't going to give him that same diet of shots in the league no. i i i 100 agree with that he does have to get better off the catch any thoughts about his defense because he rates out see yeah. the, the, this is where the case for him falls apart because he mm. rates out the 11th percentile in terms of total defense and i agree I agree with Sam Bassini. The, the synergy defensive numbers shouldn't be the, 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 the be-all, end-all uh, of defensive metrics. There aren't really any perfect defensive stats. But as a seven-footer in today's NBA, you, you, you can't be a non-factor defensively. So that would be, in my opinion, where some of the case falls apart. For sure, for sure. And I, I think that there's two reasons for optimism there. Um, one is again high high usage offensive player. Maybe that's a little better when he doesn't have to worry as much about that. Um, the second is just the improvement from last year to this year. A lot of it is mentality with him. I remember vividly a game last season where Fresno State was playing Nevada and Grant Sherfield was just tearing up Fresno State. Mm -hmm. Robinson was hanging his head. He was sulking. Like he just looked like he didn't want to be there. As soon as that game got away from him. And now it's the opposite. He looks super competitive. He's fired up. I've watched them in close games that they lost where he looks like he is ready to go to war the entire time. His level of engagement is so much higher. Um, that I think so it's just he, he, aver he, he averages over a steal and a block per game. So it's not like he isn't active on the defensive end. It's just keeping that engagement throughout the entire game and not being solely a, a, a defensive playmaker at seven feet. Like if I want somebody to go out there and cause chaos, play passing lanes, help block shots from the weak side, like I'll go get somebody like Tari Eason, for example, since you brought up his name sure. earlier in the podcast. Like, I don't know if that's the role I want Orlando Robinson playing. I want him to be more of a rim protector or a rim deterrent at seven feet and be able to play more comfortably and be a little more active around the basket, not necessarily stepping out away from the basket. So in, and I have, two kind of concerns with him as far as that goes like a block and a half per game just in a vacuum sounds fine is a seven footer in the mountain west conference playing the schedule that he has <laughs> you would you would like to see more and um part of it is he bites on everything he's he's yeah. pretty easy yeah. to fake um and the other issue is he's not very fast off the floor um a lot of times when you see him get up whether it's for a dunk or a block it takes him a while to load up that's really my concern with his defense at the NBA level is like, I just don't know that a guy with that type of load time, his current just general proficiency and awareness on defense is going to be able to really protect the rim in any meaningful way. 
you mentioned the name Maxwell. I, I, I so, sometimes I do this to a guest. Sometimes I throw them a little off guard and I, I hit them with a question that we didn't necessarily quote unquote prepare for, but I've been seeing Jalen Williams come up a lot on social I media. Williams. Yeah. I have not taken the time to sit down and watch like multiple Arkansas games yet this year. So as someone who doesn't have a clear opinion on him, sort of describe to me in layman's terms what his game looks like and why should I be excited about him as a prospect? So Jalen Williams is... Uh, okay, oh, man. Okay, think of... Uh, it's, it's unfair because like the only other guys that really play like him aren't built anything like him. Which would be like Trevion <laughs> Williams or Jokic, where he's just sort of this like center that has the ball in his hands a lot at 6'10. He has a deep passing bag. And he can do it facing up, but also he can post up and just find guys even when his back is to the basket. Um I'm not crazy about him coming out this year just because He's not physical at all. I was just going to say that. Like, is he physically ready for the no. NBA? Because when I have seen some of the clips, he looks really skinny. Yeah, he's listed at 245, and there's there's no way. Like, he <laughs> he doesn't like to set screens. Um, He just doesn't have great defensive instincts. Like, I think his block and steal numbers are okay, but there will be times where guys will sort of just, like, dribble into the paint and throw up a floater in front of him, and he won't get his arms up. Just little things like that that kind of drive me crazy as someone who played center, like, growing up. Um, he can't really get where he wants in the post. Um, and he had, he, he's gotten better about it, but he just had, this, like, some weird habits where he would, uh, like, a shot would go up, and he would completely turn his back to the basket to find somebody to box out instead of just knowing where people were ahead of time. Uh, to box out, but uh, he, he the idea of him, I think, is as a stretch big, but he's, again, so much further behind Orlando Robinson. Like, he's a fine free-throw shooter, but he's 23% from three this year. Uh, his his passing is so good, though. Like, he is in similar tier to Trevion Williams, but he can't get to where he wants on the floor like Trevion. He doesn't have the post game that Trevion has. He doesn't have the strength that Trevion has. Uh, his general instincts as a whole, even on defense, I think are behind him, even if his counting numbers are better. Uh, so that's, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with him. I, I want him in school for another year. So the tweet that caught my eye the, the other day was when Sam from Draft Dummies, who does the Locked On NBA Draft podcast, put out a tweet mm-hmm. and he said that he would take Jalen Williams ahead of any of the other bigs that we're probably talking about in that late first, early second range, like the Mark Williams's of the world, the Walker Kessers of the world, the comic Gates of the world. And I was like, so I haven't seen a second of this dude. And someone who I respect in the draft space is telling me they would take him ahead of some of these other guys who I'm a fan of. Like, okay, I guess I got, I got to sit down and I got to, I got to pop on some, some Arkansas film, but you're, you're saying that, you, you would prefer to, to, to let him marinate for another year and see what he looks like next year. Sure. I have him like barely outside the second round right now. So if, okay. if you were to go pro by the time other people pull back, I'd probably say he's a draftable player. Um, I, I just like to see as much of an actualized product as possible. Like I want to see just a good productive player before crafting somebody and i i just have real concerns about how he would score in the nba just based on his frame and inability to shoot from the outside as of now 
I mean, I, I think you and I are in agreement on that point, just based on some of our glowing evaluations earlier in this podcast, where we, we talked about how um, effective Alondez could be in an NBA role. We talked about what Jordan Hall might be able to bring right away to a second unit. We weren't quite as on board with the type of player that Justin Lewis could be when he steps into the NBA. So I think mm-hmm. we're on board in terms of we like to see more finish process, finish prospects versus, you know, exclusively projecting out to what they could be two, three, four years down the road from now. I, I agree with that. And I think that's going to factor in more this year than ever, because there's so many intriguing freshmen that we talk that we could talk about who have struggled to really impact the game in a big way and put up efficient numbers on a consistent basis, yet they're probably going to find themselves at the end of the first round conversation because of the upside they have if, if they stay in the draft or they might elect to come back to school. So that's why I think this year more than ever, it's really fun to talk about some of these guys like an Alondas Williams or a Jordan Hall or some of these guys who we're confident they have a chance to crack an NBA rotation when they step in the league next year versus taking the project you know is probably going to spend more time in the G League. You're going to have to be a little bit more patient with his development. That's what makes the sleeper conversation so much fun this year. But let's let's finish out this podcast with one more guy. I was excited when you threw his name at me because I've seen him multiple times this year. I'm going to see him at least two more times this year. Ron Harper Jr. from Rutgers. We want to talk about finished products. He he, he is a senior. He's about as finished as he's going to get from a developmental perspective. But at the same time, it's a really interesting player. He's 16.3 points per game, six and a half rebounds, 45% from the field, 45.7% from three-point range, shooting over five three-point attempts per game, 76%, near 77% from the line. He averages over a steal per game, 22.1 PER for a player who is almost solely doing his scoring off of perimeter shots. He's 58.9% true shooting percentage, 87th percentile in terms of total offense, 97th percentile on spot up shooting, 94th off screens, 88th percentile on jump shots overall, 94th percentile on catch and shoot shots. And those are the numbers to highlight with Ron Harper Jr. because he is a perimeter shot maker first and foremost. You, you, might be able to classify him as a shooting specialist, depending on what your definition of shooting specialist is. Bottom line is this dude puts the ball in the bucket at an incredibly high level. And I've seen him hit so many tough shots over the last two years. I saw him hit one of the most ridiculous game winners I've ever seen in my life against Purdue in one of the top college basketball games this year. I loved him last year. I still love him this year. Now we can talk about what the word love means for me. I love him as a prospect and somebody I would draft. Does that mean I'm taking him in the top 30? No. But do I have him inside a top 60? Do I feel that he's without a doubt in my mind a draftable prospect? Absolutely. He is a very unique player. We can talk about how we wish he would. we would want him to be in better shape. He's over 260 pounds. He is a tank. I would, Corey and I were literally behind the bench last week and I was literally sitting right behind him and he, I would be scared to face him in a back alley. We'll, we'll, we'll put that that <laughs> way. He is, he is a very big human being. 
Um, but just because he's unique doesn't mean he doesn't deserve to be drafted. Um, he, he, he is one of the more unique prospects in this class, but at the end of the day, like six, five, six, six guys who can be mismatched type of wings who can put somebody on the block, back them down who, and who can also step out and hit three point shots, running off screens or operating off the catch like he can, and who can just, he, he lives off of a tough, tough shot making diet as effectively as he does. I think he's definitely a draftable prospect for NBA teams. And he's somebody who he might not be a starter caliber player, but when we talk about guys in that seventh, eighth, ninth, 10th man range, you can do a lot worse than, than bringing somebody like Ron Harper Jr. off your bench. So I would absolutely consider him draftable. I know a number of people in those ceilings also consider him draftable. Where are you at on somebody like Ron Harper Jr. Maxwell? Yeah. So I've, I've got him in that sort of low forties range for sure. I, I think he's absolutely draftable. Um, you mentioned the the physical kind of fitness and shape thing, and that's that's sort of my concern. But even in that Purdue game, there were times where he was on Jay Nivey and he, he stayed with him just fine. You know what? Um, yeah, I was. You know what really throws me off guard when you do not expect a man at his size to move his feet as well laterally and as quickly as he does. He has some of the best perimeter footwork I could talk about for a lot of different prospects in this class. Yet. He's six six, like two hundred sixty pounds. Yeah, well, and that and that was like the first thing I wanted to ask you about with him is somebody who's like seen him in person is so up close it passes the test for you. Oh, it's basically. legit. It's hey, legit. He can, he can absolutely defend on the perimeter, which again is crazy for me to say, but he can do it. Yeah, and I I think that he's just sort of a smart player and he's skilled. Passing placement isn't always perfect, but does a good job of finding open teammates. He can he can bang guys out down low if he gets a smaller, weaker guy on him. Much like the coming off of screens and stuff like that. Like his, his three-point shot arsenal is really good this year. And last year, I think his percentage kind of hurt because he had to do so much um, shooting as a creator, like just doing stuff out of the dribble. It's never going to be his role in the NBA. Um, you know, maybe if he needs to in a certain situation, he can do it and be fine. He won't embarrass himself, but... Um, he's going to be more of a catch and shoot player at that level. So I'm totally on board with him. It's just a nice role player. You think about uh, the type of players that Minnesota likes to put around somebody at Carl Anthony towns or that the Denver nuggets like to have around Jokic. He, I, I just really buy into him in terms of his defensive instincts. And I really trust him as an offensive player. So you would, you would classify him or would you classify him? I guess I should say in that like small ball four type of role in the yeah. NBA because that's that's what I would envision him as and that really would mm. also take advantage of how well he plays out of post-ups it's not just being able to back down similar or smaller size guys than him and being able to score in those post situations it's also what he can do from a passing perspective with his back to the basket like he makes some good reads um out, out of doubles in the post and that to me is an aspect of his game that you can better take advantage of and something that you don't want to go to all the time you really don't want to want to run a lot of post-up offenses exclusively in the NBA, but at the same time, it's something that can definitely throw a team off, especially coming from a player who you're probably not building a game plan around, a guy who if he's like your, the eighth or ninth man um, playing in the game for your team, I, I, I doubt every single player on the opposing team in the second unit is going to read as thorough of a scouting report on somebody like Ron Harper Jr., and that's an element to his game that can definitely throw teams off. They're not ready for it. Definitely. I, I, I think that he just presents a lot as a mismatch opportunity. And I think between 
footwork and just instinctually like you talk about guys that know how to play defense off the ball and how to tag the role man and just what position they need to be in on the court he's he's never out of place like i I don't think i've seen play and again i'm not watching every Rutgers game but i haven't seen a Rutgers game where there was a defensive play and it's like where was ron harper jr he missed i'll I'll tell you what he he did a really good job on keegan murray the other night who everybody's talking about Keegan Murray is like a top eight pick in the draft, myself included. He did a damn good job on him. And he really made Keegan Murray work out of some tough spots on the court. Obviously when we talk about him being rated out in the 87th percentile in terms of total defense, obviously a lot of that has to do with the team overall, how that team approaches playing defense, um, how they scheme, but Ron Harper Jr does his job within a team construct defensively. And I think that Maxwell, when you bring up how you don't see him out of position, you don't see him doing stupid things defensively. He's been well coached on that end. And I think that's going to translate um, to, to the NBA. He's, he might not be the best individual one-on-one defender, but in terms of playing team defense, sliding his feet, doing the little things, he can absolutely um, work playing defense in the NBA. Yeah, I think it, just between that and buying his shot, I know that he's an older prospect. I know he's not super athletic. It, it, it's hard to get overly excited about a guy like Ron Harper Jr., but I think you reach a certain point in this class where there's been players that have underachieved and things like that, that it gets really hard to ass on him at a certain point, like especially for good teams that are going to look for a cheap asset that they might need to play in important games at some point. Yeah, I don't, I don't think you could ignore a shot maker like him in the second round. I think you absolutely – somebody's got to take a swing on him. And if for whatever reason he would not be drafted in the second round, you know that he's going to be one of the first people called to, to come suit up for a summer league team and ultimately make it into camp and hopefully sign some sort of two-way contract if, if, mm-hmm. if he wouldn't be given a guaranteed second-round deal. So, But with that being said – Maxwell, that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. I, I've wanted to have you on the podcast for quite a while. Like I said, at the top of the show, you're one of my favorite reads every week. So please tell my audience in case they aren't following you you and your work already, plug everything that you're doing. Awesome. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on. Like It, it genuinely means a lot to be on a show that I've listened to for a long time. So it's extremely cool. A uh, big fan of your work and uh, just appreciate the opportunity here. So uh, my Twitter handle is at Boundboards. It's B-A-U-M, the word boards. And uh, you can find my work at boundboards.substack.com. Uh, give me a subscription there. It's free. It really helps with SEO and metrics and getting <laughs> eyes on what I'm doing. So uh, subscribe. It's free. I'm only writing one thing a week, so I'm not going to blow up your email inbox. Uh, so give me a subscription over there. I'd greatly appreciate it. And yeah, that's that's where I'm at. And oh, also uh, pickandroll.substack.com. Uh, myself and Stephen Gillespie doing some collaboration work over there. We just did a mock draft the other day. Uh, so you can hear me talk about uh, some of the guys we talked about today and a whole lot of other players, but just kind of where I see him in terms of fit and things like that also. So that was a, a doozy. It was a two-hour show. Uh, so if you're a sicko, you want to find out who we, who we were drafting, you know, 58th overall, go check that out. Another friend of the program. Um, God bless you guys for doing a full two-round mock draft. I'm going to be recording a first-round mock draft 
this week on this podcast, and uh, Tyler Rucker and I are already dreading picks 15 through 30. So God bless you guys for going the distance and doing 31 to 60. Um, but it's seriously, just, doing the mock, it, it just gets so crazy so quick. Like at a certain point, the floor falls out, and yeah, it gets real, real messy with this class. Oh, I, I can't, I can't wait for Rucker to just be sitting there and going, um, oh. Oh, Jesus, Nate, why are you making me do this? Um, I, I, it's, it's, it's definitely going to be a part of the audio on that podcast for mm-hmm. sure. But um, seriously, everybody out there, if you're not subscribed to Maxwell Substack, please go subscribe to it. I consider him a friend of this program. I consider him a friend of No Ceilings. He is doing incredible work. And it's, it's my job, as people have highlighted the work that I'm doing, to give me a chance to stand out a little bit. I have to be sure to... to pass the buck along and then show favor to anybody else who I think is doing incredible work in the draft community. And that's, that's what this is. It's a community. I love talking to people. I love having different people on this podcast. I, we, we may not be a part of the, the greater NBA landscape where we have a billion people commenting on every single thing we're doing, but we're in a tight knit community to the point where it just makes the engagement and the conversations that much more enjoyable. So absolutely. Anytime I can highlight anybody else's work, I'm going to do it. But thank you again so much, everyone out there, for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you haven't subscribed already, please go subscribe wherever you get your podcast: Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. Absolutely follow me over on Twitter, at Draft Deeper. And like I said at the top, make sure you subscribe to the No Ceiling Substack, noceilings.substack.com. I know we're, we're hitting you with all the newsletters uh, on this podcast, but I promise if you open up two to three emails per day, you can definitely make time to open up our awesome, awesome, awesome pieces. Maxwell is writing as much as I am on a weekly basis. So definitely if you want something good to dig your teeth into, definitely go read some of our work. And we'll be back again for another episode this week. As I mentioned, I'll be doing a full first round mock draft on this show with Tyler Rucker and making his return to my podcast, Simon Rath, a.k.a. Hawks Drafter. Yes, I'm getting him on a podcast. He deserves to be on another podcast. He's so great at, at what he does on social media. So we're going to be doing a full first-round mock draft. We'll record that tomorrow, have that out by the end of the week. But as always, tune in. Thank you so much for listening. Take care, everyone. <laughs>